Uh, so if you've uh, if you've been if you've been with us for the last uh, few weeks or, or month or so, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer in our series, and, and we've been seeing uh, how Jesus gave us this prayer, not, not just for a model for how to pray, but really a model for our lives, a, a model for how we are to live our daily lives. And, and I have to say, um, at least in my own opinion, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, I've just kind of gotten a lot out of it myself, taking up this ancient prayer and studying it. It's, it's been really good for my soul. I uh, hope it's been good for your soul as well if you've been with us. Um, but I say all that uh, to say this. You're really not going to like this week. You're, you're, you're not going to like this, this sermon, I, I, I bet. Uh, because... We get to a really difficult part of the prayer. But, but, but let me just say that just because you don't like something doesn't mean that the Spirit can't teach you something. That just because you don't like something doesn't mean that the Spirit can't teach you something through it. Am I right? So we've come to this part of the Lord's Prayer that says, Father... Forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us, as we forgive our debtors. So today we're going to talk about um, surrendering our hurts and and forgiving others. And and some of y'all, some of y'all might might be thinking, oh, come on, I've I've done that already. Forgiveness, I've done it. Let's move on. I'm, I'm at peace. I'm so at peace right now. Can you see this? Okay, just, if, if, that, if that's where you are. Okay, I'm going to step on your toes a little today. But just take a walk with me. Uncross your arms a little bit and, and see how the Spirit might be teaching you something. And, and if you think that today's message is, is just kind of nonsense, then... then Really, you need to go back and listen to last week's message to maybe make some sense out of this one. Because last week we prayed, Father, forgive us. And we stopped right there. And, and, and wouldn't it be great if the prayer stopped right there? You see, we're, we're all for forgiveness until we have to forgive someone else. Everybody's all, all for forgiveness. It's such a grand, good thing. We're all for forgiveness until we are the ones who have to forgive someone else. But what Jesus does in this prayer is that, is that he pushes us beyond that. For, forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our debts as we, there's that nudge, as we forgive those who trespass against us, those who sin against us. And, and I think that Jesus knew that this was going to be the most difficult part of the prayer for us to pray, the part that, that we would struggle most or the part that we would try to find a loophole to get out of, right? That, that, we're, that we're looking for a loophole to, to get out of, Ah, how do I really forgive someone else? Is, is there a way around this, Jesus? And that's why this part of the Lord's Prayer, it's the only part that Jesus gives further explanation of. 
So the Lord's Prayer comes to us from, from Matthew chapter 6. There's a couple places throughout the New Testament. But this is from Matthew chapter 6, and it says this. It says, this then is how you should pray. Jesus teaching his disciples. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then he goes on. And Jesus says, let me, let me back up, just in case you missed it, just, to, just in case it wasn't quite clear. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, uh-oh, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, this is probably one of the most radical things about Christianity, I, I think, is that because we, we as Christians believe that you can't properly, truly, honestly worship God, the God of forgiveness, and treat people like trash. This is what Christianity teaches. You can't properly worship God and treat people like garbage. Jesus says, even, even if they are your enemies. Jesus says, forgiveness, forgiveness here. It's quid pro quo. Y'all know about quid pro quo, right? You remember from Silence of the Lambs, probably. But, okay, but quid pro quo, it's, it's a Latin phrase, and it means this for that. Quid pro quo, this for that. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is quid pro quo, this for that. And with those two small but, but so powerful words, as we, as we, as we forgive. But those words, as we, we ask, is Jesus here being prescriptive or, or is he being descriptive? Meaning, meaning, Jesus, when, when you say this, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Is that, is that prescriptive, meaning that, that we will only be forgiven only if we forgive others? Or, or, is it, or is it descriptive? God, help us to forgive others just as you have forgiven me. Well, it seems that Jesus kind of draws a line in the sand here in those last couple verses that we read at the end of the Lord's Prayer. But, but let me bring in something that, that he says later on to help maybe fill this out for us a little bit. He says the same thing, but, but I think that this is helpful. Um, you've probably heard at least uh, the first part of this story before, uh, and, and maybe even the second part. But the third part, we don't really like to talk about, but we're going to talk about it today. Third part might be a little unfamiliar, so, so hang in there with me. This comes from Matthew chapter 18, and it says this. Then Peter, okay, so if you were here last week, you remember Peter. Peter the perfectionist, Peter the valid Victorian of the class of disciples. It says, then Peter, then meaning 
There was something that was going on before this. There was a conversation that Jesus was having before this, and this is then Peter, and that conversation was Jesus was teaching his disciples, telling them about how to handle disputes within the church. So Peter's listening to what Jesus is saying about how do you handle disputes within the church? How do you, how do you deal with your brothers and sisters who have wronged you? And Peter decides to pipe up here. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, I got a question. How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? How about, how about up to seven times? How about up to seven times? Okay, so obviously Peter's hearing what Jesus is saying, and obviously Peter had had it with Philip or, or one of the other disciples in the group. Jesus, how many times do I have to go and forgive Philip over there? Okay, I mean, I can't believe that you brought him on as a disciple anyways. I think that was a poor choice. No judgment on you, Jesus. Okay, but how many times do I have to keep on forgiving Philip? And then he tries to impress Jesus by giving an answer to his own question. Hey, Jesus, I, I got it. What, 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 about, what about seven times? You see, at, at this time, according to the Jewish rabbis, the Jewish law at this time, it was enough to forgive a person three times. So, so Peter says, I'll more than double that, Jesus. Let, let me get some extra credit. What, what if I forgive Philip over here seven times? Gives the perfect number, right? Seven. And then Jesus answered, I tell you, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, if you have your Bible open, it might say seven times seven or 70 times seven. Look, we don't really know which is the right answer. Uh, in Greek, math is hard, okay? So it's hard to just kind of figure that out. Um, but really, that, that's not the point, Jesus' point here is that, is that your forgiveness, if it's going to be complete, then it must be beyond counting. If your forgiveness is going to be complete, then it must be beyond counting. And if you're so busy trying to tally up the number of times that you've had to forgive someone, if you're so busy counting all of it, then really all that that shows is that you haven't actually forgiven them. You haven't actually forgiven them in your heart. So listen up, Peter. Jesus goes on to, to tell him a parable about this. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. I mean, that's just an outrageous, outrageous, outrageous amount. And so since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now that sounds harsh, but this was actually legal according to Jewish and Roman law at the time. This was indentured servitude. And that since this man, a slave, was his master's property. That also meant that the slave's wife and the slave's children all were property of the master. And, and that's, that's a horrible thing, right? It goes on and he says, at this, 
The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. Have mercy on me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. At that point, all the disciples probably started laughing because there's no way that this servant could possibly pay back this debt. It it would have been millions of dollars in our time. But then listen to what it says. The servant's master took pity on him, had mercy on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Let's just pause there, because this is such an important piece of this parable, that if we miss it, we really miss the whole thing. The master, he's trying to balance his checkbook here, And he notices that millions are missing. And someone has got to pay that debt. Someone has to account for the millions that are missing. And and we would expect, well, we know what to expect, right? That every month you get one of those credit card bills that come in the mail. And on it, it says, you owe... X, and you pay X. You owe, you pay. You owe, you pay. That's how the world works. You owe, you pay. And, and, th- and that's not just limited to our relationship with our credit card companies, but, but I think... I think this is often true of our own personal relationships too, right? That, that you owe me something. That, that you gotta, you got to pay me for that, for, for what you have taken from me. You, you've done me wrong. There's now a debt between us. You owe me something. You owe. You pay. And you either pay me back or I'm going to come and pay you back. So has someone ever thrown you under the bus before, right? Or, or you've done some, some kind of extravagant favor for someone, and then the language that we use after it, you know, the boss walks away, you know, and we're the scapegoat, and we say, you owe me big time. You owe me big time. Or we say, when someone mistreats us, or does us wrong, we say, you owe me an apology. Whenever there's a hurt, there is a debt. Whenever there's a hurt, there is a debt. There's now a debt in the relationship. There's, there's now a gap that has been created. And, and we, we understand this from, from our own finances, is that when you, are, when you carry a debt, you are now limited, Right? Amen, show of hands. No, you don't have to raise your hands for that. Just kidding. When we carry a debt, we are now limited. Because of what you have withdrawn previously, you are now more limited currently. There's an outstanding balance that has to be worked off over time into the future because of a decision that you made in the past. Because of something that happened in the past, you are now limited in your future. There's a debt 
And in the same way, there's a debt in our relationships. Wherever there is a hurt, wherever something has been taken from you, withdrawn from you in excess, there is a debt. And the longer that we hold on to the debt, the more interest that incurs, the more it just piles up, gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The longer we hold on to the debt, the more interest that incurs. Are you with me? And so I wonder... I wonder that, that like this, this king, this master, and, and his servant, have you carried a debt for someone that could never possibly pay you back? Have you carried a debt for someone that could never possibly pay you back. You know that what they have done to you cannot be fixed, can, cannot just go away if they say, I'm sorry. You know, a hug won't do, a Hallmark card, that's not sufficient because there's a debt. And you have been tracking and calculating every single moment that you have been carrying around this debt as time goes on You've been calculating that interest. And you know that it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And they can't take back the pain. They can't take back the time that was wasted for you. They can't take back what they have done. And they can't pay you back either. But notice what's different here. Notice, notice what the master says. He says, you owe, and I'll pay. You, you owe the debt, but I'll pay it. I, I, know, I know i got to balance these books, i got to settle these accounts, and you owe me something. Someone has to pay for this massive debt, and I'll be the one to do it. I mean, what, what kind of king is this? This is the exact opposite of what we would expect. This is the exact opposite of how we operate in our you owe, you pay kind of world. But remember that this is Jesus telling the story to Peter. Peter, you owe. You owe a debt but I'll pay it. Peter, you've, you've sinned. You've messed up big time. I've, I've watched you, and there's still more to come from you, Peter. You owe a debt to God for your sin, for your falling short, just like all of us do. You owe, but I will pay. That on the cross of Jesus, our debts were canceled. Our debts were forgiven. We are forgiven. God has said, you owe, but I'll pay. And that's how God's economy works. It's so different from our own. That's how God's economy works. It's an economy of grace. You owe, but I'll pay. And that's the good news. But the story goes on. And, and here's where it gets a little rough. And, and here's, here's where we see kind of the costliness of this grace. 
It goes on and it says, But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. He's hustling his other servants for lunch money compared to what he owes. Goes on and he says, his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me, have mercy on me. The same petition, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? The king showed him an economy of grace, but he chose an economy of vengeance. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? And, and, and that, that's the key phrase. I mean, to, to paraphrase the king here, he says, you used my grace as an excuse to be the same hurtful, unmerciful, unjust person that you were before. You used my grace as an excuse to be the same unmerciful person, ungraceful, unforgiving person that you were before. You see, God's forgiveness towards us should change us. God's forgiveness towards us should change our forgiveness towards others. And at the cross of Jesus, at the cross of Jesus, when our debts were paid, when our debts were canceled, we lost our right not to forgive others. That at the cross of Jesus, we lost our right not to forgive. Peter, Jesus says, you're being like the unforgiving servant. You're you're being like that wicked servant. I've forgiven you for so much, and yet you're still trying to keep track of other people's offenses? Really? See, forgiveness is the result of our being forgiven. Forgiveness is is an overflow of our forgiveness from God. And, And forgiveness, you know, it comes with a feeling. Sometimes we're waiting for that, right? I just don't feel like I've forgiven them. Forgiveness, it it comes with a feeling, yes, but it's often preceded by a decision. A decision to cancel the debt. Our decision to not pick up that hurt and reinstate that debt again. To lay it down, to cancel it, to surrender it to God and say, God, it's yours. I'm done with it. I've forgiven. The debt has been canceled. Our decision to not pick up the hurt and not reinstate the debt. You owe me. You owe me. But I've chosen to cancel the debt. But here's why we struggle with that so much. We struggle with it because forgiveness seems unjust. 
It seems unjust. And, and, and to be honest, it is, right? It, it is unjust. Mercy isn't giving people what they deserve. Mercy is giving people what they don't deserve, right? But we still want to operate in that economy of vengeance. We, we still want to hold on to it. You owe, you pay. And we don't, we resist leaning into God's economy of grace. And when we forgive someone, we, we assume that we're doing them a favor. When we forgive someone, we, we think that it's for the benefit of them. But, but that's not really it at all. It's really for ourselves and for our own benefit, that, that we're doing ourselves a favor. Yeah, forgiveness is, is for them. It's, it's for the offender to be sure, but, but it's also really for our own selves. And let me, let me just give a couple caveats here because I, I, I think that this is important to say and I think some preachers have said it really unfairly. Uh, for far too long. When you forgive someone, you are not condoning their behavior. When you forgive someone, you are not condoning their behavior. You still have to hold on to that truth that what they have done, that trespass, that sin, that debt that has occurred between you, you still have to hold on to the truth that, that that was wrong. I'm not asking you to accept their behavior, and and I'm not asking you to forget. But what I am asking you to do is forgive. Because. Because they don't deserve the power to live in your mind and to turn your heart towards bitterness. I'm asking you to forgive because they don't deserve The person who has trespassed against you, your debtor, doesn't deserve to have power over you any longer. The trespasser must be forgiven 77 times, but not the trespass itself. The trespass has to be forgiven. The trespasser, but not the trespass itself. And, and, and I'm not saying that the quota is 77 times, okay? I, I don't think that's what Jesus was saying here. I, I'm not saying that, that forgiving someone 77 times means that you have to go back time and time and time after again for another beating, for another heartbreak, for another hurt and another pain and another disappointment. I'm not saying that. Because some of you, I I know that you have some hurts. You got some wounds that are just unimaginable. That there is a big, great debt that has been placed on your life unfairly. I know that for some of you. And I believe, I believe that, that in an instant, God can heal you of that. God can bring restoration for that, that some of the deepest hurts, some of the deepest pains, some of the greatest debts that some of you have been carrying for years and years and years can be forgiven. I, I do believe that, but I also believe, and listen, listen to me carefully, I also believe that God can heal you, ready, through counseling, that God's healing touch can, can work its way through forgiveness over time. And I believe that 
because I have a testimony of that. And so what I learned from my own counseling and forgiving someone else is, is that I learned that forgiveness means separating the past from the present and, and to separate ourselves from the past prison of that hurt. To separate ourselves from, from those moments of being sinned against. We don't forgive to try to reform the person who wronged us. We, we can't make them change, and, and maybe they never will, but we forgive to free ourselves from their grip on us. And so look at what Jesus says here at the end of this parable. It says, in his anger, his master handed him, that's the servant, over to the jailers to be tortured until he should be paid back all that he owed. That's the rest of his life. Here's the really hard part. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And, and I know, I know that's hard to hear. And, and if we were editing the Bible, we'd, we'd leave that last couple lines off of it, right? But we can't. And really, it, it closes the argument. Because here's the truth that I, I think that, that all of us know to some degree, all of us know to some extent, that to choose not to forgive, it's like hitting the self-destruct button on your own life. That this servant, he's the one that brought this reality, this punishment upon himself. To choose not to forgive is like hitting the self-destruct button on your own life. By not forgiving, we, we think that in some way we're, we're trying to get even. But really we find out that, that we're the ones that are losing. That that debt that we've been holding on to and that, that interest that just keeps accumulating and accumulating and accumulating, whose shoulders does it rest on? It might rest on theirs, but, but you know, you know that if it's rested on yours as well. We're the ones who carry the weight of that debt. As Anne Lamott put it, I love this. She says, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Not forgiving is like drinking rat poison yourself and then waiting for the rat to die. When we don't forgive an offense, we end up locking ourselves away in a prison. We, we lock ourselves away from, from future relationships. We lock ourselves away from love. We, we lock ourselves away from being vulnerable enough to trust people with the most intimate and sacred part of our lives. We lock ourselves away in a prison of our own hurt, our own bitterness, our own unforgiveness. But forgiveness demands that we be vulnerable enough to have the courage to step out and live our life wholeheartedly as Jesus has called us to do. To, to live in that new creation that Paul talks about. Forgiveness means that we have to be vulnerable enough to have the courage within ourselves to step out into the newness of that life. Paul says it this way in, in Romans 13. 
He says, let no debt remain outstanding. Let all, all the debt that you've been carrying around, cancel it. Lay it down, forgive it. Let no debt remain outstanding except, except this debt. This debt that can never be fulfilled by any of us because it's been fulfilled by the king who said, you owe all pay. Let this debt, the continuing debt to love one another, let that debt continue. None of the other ones. Lay all the other debts down, but continue the debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. You have been forgiven generously, mercifully, extravagantly, so that you can surrender your pain, your hurts, that you can lay down your debts, cancel them, and forgive others for their sake, yes, but also for your own and your own freedom. Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And let no debt remain outstanding except for that one to remain in love's debt to one another. And so, if you haven't kind of gotten the sermon so far, let me end with with this way. I want to encourage you to um, join me in this kind of exercise here. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer, uh, kind of a contemplative prayer. And as I pray, I I want you to make a fist. And take those fists and squeeze them as hard and as tight as you can. This is going to hurt, (laughs) okay? I want you to hold that as, as hard and as tight as you can to feel the pain as an expression of the pain of that debt that you've been carrying around. And then when I invite you to, I invite you to release it and open up your hands unto the Lord. So won't you pray with me? Oh Lord Jesus, God, you know us. You know our debts. You know our debtors. You know our sins. And Lord, you know those who have sinned against us. God, you know how much that that pains us. And we know that that breaks your heart too. For every time that our hearts were broken... God, some of us have been holding on to this pain, clenching our fists, counting and calculating the debt for far too long. And God, we ask your spirit to move and open us up and free us from that. God, may we be vulnerable enough to step out in courage to forgive others as hard as that is. And so imagine that person. Imagine that thing and feel the pain that's in your hands. And I invite you to open them now. 
and feel the blood and the life returning back to you. God's spirit moving within you and hear these words, for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was released again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, I feel the life coming back. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here, and all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. May we find freedom. May we find life. May we find forgiveness for our own selves and the grace and the gratitude to extend that to others. In Jesus' name, amen.